Well, happy new year to all of you. Thank you for joining us here at Crossview as we kick off 2022. There's a friend and mentor, pastor and author named Lee Eklov, uh, who has preached here a couple times. He's a friend of mine and he has this quote he always says. He says that pastors should create within the hearts of the people they serve a homesickness for heaven. He said, pastors should create in the hearts of the people they serve a homesickness for heaven, a vision for eternity, an affection for what's to come, not just some advice for how to live in the here and now. And as I look over my 20 plus years of ministry, to be honest, I don't think I've effectively done that to the place where I could. And I've talked to God about that. And one of my prayers for 2022 is that God, and the, the reason I don't think I've done that effectively is just to be honest with you, I don't think my heart has been homesick for heaven as much as it should be. And I've asked the Lord that in 2022 to create within me a vision of eternity. Create within me a heart that longs for what's to come. That my heart would be detached from the temporary lives that we see here and in a glorious godly way be attached to eternity and what is yet to come. And by grace, allow that to happen at Crossview Church. Allow us to be a church that is homesick for heaven that longs for the day where we will be with our Savior Jesus forever and ever. And I say, God, let that happen. There was, this year for Crossview Church, uh, it's been difficult in terms of grief and loss. In terms of lost loved ones in our church family, we had more in this last year of 2021 than any other year we had in our existence. And the year before that wasn't that much better. And as a pastor, and I speak for all the pastors on staff here, it's our honor and our privilege to walk with a family through those times of grief and those heartache moments when you lose a loved one. But it's also, as a human being, sometimes hard to enter into loss after loss after loss. And there was a moment in one of those where I was, I'll never forget where I was, I was outside taking my dog out, I was on the side of the garage, and the phone call came that someone from our church family passed and I answered the phone and I prayed with the person, talked with them and I hung up. And, and if I'm honest with you, my heart went into a place of despair as I was kind of the accumulation of the year of loss. And I thought, man, what is going on? Why? And I had all these questions. And in that moment, God's grace was so good and the Holy Spirit just picked me up and met me where I was at. And I came in, I started looking at what does the Bible say happened after we passed from this life as believers. And I began to be filled with hope. And I began to have this new vision that I needed for what happens when this life is done. But then I realized that it's not enough for us to carry that in times of grief and loss. Because we are, but it's supposed to be uh, in us all the time. It's okay to grieve and mourn people who pass. In fact, the Bible encourages us to do that. But the difference is the Bible says that we as believers in times of death of a, a fellow believer, we grieve as those who have hope. We have hope in, in what is to come. 
And how I long for my heart and our hearts to be set upon that. It is critically important that we live with a strong vision of heaven, with a strong vision of eternity. And I think the church in ages past did a better job at this than we do now. Maybe that's because in this day and age, there's so much in the here and now that not only distracts us, but attaches us to the present. Where in the church in the past, as I read, many of them had this attachment to what was to come. There was a bishop in England in the 1800s named J.C. Ryle who said this, I pity the person who never thinks of heaven. I pity the person who never thinks of heaven. And when I first read that, I thought, man, he's talking about me. Not that I never think of heaven, but I think it's so easy for me in this day and age to just fly through all of the current present things I'm dealing with and never pause enough to think about heaven and think about our eternal home which in comparison to the time we have here and now is so much greater, so much longer. I think part of the problem is there's a lot of confusion about what heaven's going to be like. Some of the things we come up with culturally and, and just as people about what heaven is going to be like uh, is so bad and so boring and lacks so much uh, passion then no wonder why we don't think of heaven. If we really think we're going to be in clouds with a harp with some Gerber baby angels, why would we even long for that? The vision of heaven in scriptures is so much more glorious, so much more compelling, so much greater than I think our preconceived ideas. And, and I wanted to begin this year by giving us a fresh biblical vision of heaven. I wanted us to renew our hearts and what our brothers and sisters in church age past referred to as the blessed hope. That Jesus is going to return and he will rule and reign and we will be with him forever and ever and ever. And it's going to be absolutely glorious. Maybe you feel like your best days are behind you. Maybe you're here and you feel anxious or fearful or hopeless. Maybe you feel like you've had a successful life and a great job and, and a great family and these great things have happened to you, but there's this gnawing in your soul where you're wondering, is this all there is? Maybe you're pretty clueless about what happens after you die. I want to kick off this year with something that will hopefully by God's grace and will, make us homesick for heaven. I'm looking forward to diving into this series the next three weeks, and uh, I want to start today by looking at three biblical reminders of heaven. Three biblical reminders of heaven. And I'm going to dive in right away with the first one, and that is this, that heaven is real. It's a real place. And I think some of us, if you've been in the church for a while, you'd say, duh, but I think we have to remind ourselves that no, heaven is truly a real place. 
I have seen people, as some of you, pass from this life to the next. Many of you have seen a lifeless body, someone who died. And, and I think it's normal to have all the questions that come with that. Is this all there is? What happened to that person? And apart from the Bible, the uncertainty can lead us down depressive and dark places to think that's all there is. Thankfully, that's not true. The Bible speaks to this. To the believer, to the Christian, the follower of Jesus Christ, to be absent from the body in this life, in the here and now, is to be present with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, so we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, meaning while we are here in the here and now living in our body, we are away from the Lord. Not away from him like spiritually, like he's not with us and everything, but we're not seeing him face to face. For we walk by faith, not by sight. In this day and age where we live here on earth, while we're alive on earth, our faith is what keeps us. We walk by faith, not by seeing Jesus in front of us. In fact, we are confident and we would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. See, what Paul is saying is when we are away from this body in the here and now as followers of Jesus, it means we are in the presence of the Lord. There's nothing in between. To be away from this body as Christians is to be present with Jesus. At death, followers of Jesus Christ go directly to him in heaven. There is nothing in between. There's not a purgatory. There's not what has been referred to as soul sleep. There's some groups like the Jehovah Witness and Seventh-day Adventists who believe that when you die, you go into this state of unconsciousness until Jesus comes back. That's not a biblical teaching at all. To be away from this body as a Christian means you are in the presence of Jesus. Heaven is a real place where Jesus is. And the Apostle Paul knew that. He was battling in his mind one day, what is better that I am here on earth helping all these people know Jesus, helping churches be set up to proclaim the gospel? Is that better or is it better for me to be with Christ in heaven? And this is what he, the conclusion he came to in Philippians 1, 23. He said, I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now he went on to say in that moment that he's going to stay and help churches, but he said to be with Christ is far better. What awaits us in heaven is so much better than what we have in the here and now. You take the best moment you have in your life on earth and it is nothing compared to what awaits us in heaven. It is far better far better. Well, how does Paul know this? Well, he knows this better than most because Paul was given much more revelation than you or I were given into these things. In fact, not only did Paul write the majority of the New Testament, but he experienced things that many of us have not. In fact, he wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I know a man in Christ. Let me clue you in. He's talking about himself. He's talking in the third person. 
He said, I know a man in Christ who was caught up in the third heaven 14 years ago. What does he mean by that? In New Testament thinking, the first heaven is the sky we see when we go outside here, where birds fly and planes fly. That's the first heaven. The second heaven is outer space, what we would refer to as outer space. And the third heaven is what we in this day and age think of as the heaven where Jesus is and where we go when we die as believers. That's what he's saying. So he's saying 14 years ago, I was caught up in the third heaven. So Paul had this experience where God in his mercy by his spirit brought him up and had him taste what heaven was like. He says, whether he, referring to himself, was in body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, talking about himself, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows, was caught up into paradise. That's how he described it. His senses were filled. He was seeing glorious things, hearing glorious sounds, smelling glorious smells. He was caught up in paradise. That's how he describes this. Heaven is a real place. Take Jesus' words for it. He said in John 14 that my father's house has many, many rooms and I prepared a place for you to go. When Jesus was on the cross, he looked to a thief who acknowledged and confessed him and he said, Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me where? In paradise. In paradise. It's going to be, heaven is this glorious place. But notice Jesus says, it's going to be today that you're going to be with me. There's nothing in between. There's not a purgatory. There's not this intermediate place before we go there. None of that is true. When a believer dies, they are with Jesus now. But the paradise that they are in, this heaven, will not be the place that we stay forever. And this is one of the biggest things that Christians miss. The heaven that exists today, the present heaven, where believers go when they die, will not be the heaven that we remain in forever. The heaven Paul saw when he was carried up there, the heaven that Jesus brought the thief to, The heaven our Christians' loved ones live in will not be the place where we live forever. That's why the second reminder I have for you is the present heaven is temporary. It's a temporary place. It's a glorious temporary place, but it's still temporary. For Christians, it's a place that we go when we die. We immediately go there, and it's a place where there is no sickness, there is no sin, there is no suffering. It is paradise, but it is not the place where we will stay forever. It is temporary. It is the place we stay until Jesus Christ comes to earth again. And when Jesus comes to earth again, like he promised, he says in that moment, he will set up the new heavens and the new earth. And that is the place as followers of Jesus where we will reign forever and ever in this new heaven and new earth. And it's going to be such a glorious place and it's such an amazing place that I'm going to give a whole sermon dedicated to the new heavens and new earth in two weeks on the 16th. But I wanted to whet your appetite with a few things about what that's going to be like now. 
When Jesus sets up the new heavens and the new earth and establishes that, this is where we will dwell as Christians forever. Our forever home will be in the new heavens and the new earth. The Apostle John wrote this in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. There are many places in scripture that talk about this new heaven and new earth. Isaiah 65 is one of them where God says, for I will create new heavens and a new earth. And the earth and heaven setup that we have now where we exist on earth and when we die, we go to the present heaven is different. The new heavens and new earth are going to be somehow combined as one. It's this place of new heavens and new earth together. And that is where we will live forever as God's people. The present heaven will be amazing and joyful. But even there, we're going to look forward to the new heavens and the new earth when Jesus comes back. The new earth is going to be redeemed and established in this new heavens and new earth. It's going to be like the way God intended us to relate to him when he set the whole thing up in Genesis 1. It's going to be Eden-like gardens where we will relate to God where there is no sin and no suffering. See, God established creation and said, this is how I want it to be. This is how I want us to relate. And when sin entered the picture, it changed everything. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus Christ went to the cross and paid for our penalty and sin to save our souls. But then also he says he's going to come again and redeem and establish a new heavens and a new earth, taking it back to God's intention in creation. It's going to be an amazing place. It will be a redeemed, better earth than we can ever imagine with no suffering, no sin, no injustice, no heartache, no anxiety, no stress. There won't be anything there that is not of God. It will be our perfect heart's desire and soul's longing. That's what awaits us forever and ever and ever. You see, for the believer, the here and now is so temporary compared to forever in the new heavens and the new earth. More on that in a couple weeks. But when I was standing beside my garage outside on the phone after hearing about another Crossview Church family member who went away with the Lord, what I needed was a vision of heaven. What I needed was a reminder of what waits for us as believers. I needed to hear of our final destination. I needed to hear of our blessed hope where Jesus will return, set up the new heavens and earth, and we will be with him. And though we cannot fully imagine or describe accurately what the new heavens and new earth will exactly be like. A careful reading of the Bible tells us things about the new heaven and new earth and what it'll be like to be there. Some of the things we do there will be similar to the things we do here and now. It says we will eat there and we will drink there and we will work there and we will worship there and we will learn things there. We will travel there. We'll experience things there that we do now. We will know people there that we know in this life. 
But there will no longer be death, sickness, sadness, suffering, or anxiety. Can you imagine a place with no anxiety and no worry? I can't wait. That alone should make us homesick for this place. Yes, there will be animals, there will be dogs, but no cats. <laughs> I'm not a cat person. Yes, there will be animals, and I'll dive into more. We'll be there in the next two weeks. I'm going to answer lots of questions you may have about heaven over the next few weeks. I invite you to email me some of your questions and make sure I cover them. But the new heavens and the new earth is going to be an amazing place. But as I wrap up this sermon, I want to go back to the present heaven a second. I want to go back and talk about one thing we need to know as we close, and that is that the present heaven needs to frequently be thought about now. We need to be people who think about heaven probably more than we do currently now. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 16, 19 to 31. I want to talk about a story that Jesus told about the present heaven. If you're new to the Bible, if you go Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, it's there, Luke 16. I want to focus on verses 19 to 31 and the story that Jesus tells. And I want to read it to you and then pull some things out of it as we wrap up. Jesus says this, There was this rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, feasting lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was laying at his gate. He longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table, but instead the dogs would come and lick his sores. Jesus is painting this picture of contrast between the rich man and Lazarus. One day the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. Son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, a great chasm has been fixed between us and you so that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot, neither can those who from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. And how we've seen many people reject the story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus even after he came and rose from the dead. I want to pull some things out of this story. What 
Luke is doing in the story is he's creating this, what Jesus is doing in the story when Jesus says this, is he's creating this contrast between the two figures. There is this figure who is the rich man who notice he doesn't have a name. He's just the rich man. And then there's this figure named Lazarus. And Lazarus means God helped him. That is the name. That's what that name means. God helps him. So you have this Lazarus who is poor, where dogs would lick his sores. He had nothing. And then you have this rich man who was self-sufficient. And Jesus is setting this up to show that the person who God helps is the one whose heart is turned towards heaven. It's good for us to receive the mercy and the grace that come from God. We had the giving tree and we collected gift cards to give to the police department. When the police department interacted with people, they would give them these gift cards. And you know what? You know how many people tried to stiff arm those gift cards? Say, no, that's all right. I don't want that. I don't need that. I don't need charity. We say that, don't we? It's hard for us to receive. But let me tell you something. When it comes to your approach to how you get to heaven, to where you will spend eternity, don't take that approach. Drown yourself in the mercy of God. Become a lover of God's charity. Become a lover of God's mercy. Become a lover of God's help, realizing you can do nothing on your own strength to get to heaven. The way you prepare for heaven that we see in this story that Jesus tells is to be the one that God helps, to be the one that God revives, to be the object of his mercy and his grace and his love towards you. And the proper response to prepare for heaven is to receive that fully. And drink it in and be a magnet for God's mercy. And without shame or without thought, just say, I'm going to embrace and take all the charity from God I can because I cannot make it on my own. Don't stiff arm the gift of grace from God. Lazarus received and drank it all in. The rich man wanted nothing to do with it. The rich man was self-sufficient that's Jesus' point here. The rich man stiff-armed the grace of God. He wasn't preparing for heaven. Some things to pull from this story. First of all, this is not saying that all rich people are in hell and all poor people are in heaven. In the Bible, we see many rich people who made it to heaven. People like Abraham and Job. Money is not evil. What we see Jesus doing here is he's saying this rich man's heart was thoughtless towards anything else other than himself. He gave no attention to anybody. He had no love for God or love for people. Because biblically the opposite of love is not hate. Biblically the opposite of love is self-centeredness. And this rich man was full of self-centeredness. That's why it's so important to think about God in heaven in the now. We need to consider these things while we live on earth. The second thing we pull from this is there is a consciousness after death. This parable shows us from Jesus that when we die, we go to the present heaven. It's not that we're unconscious and we're not aware of what's happening. 
There we'll be more alive than we've ever been in our lives. When we get to heaven, our senses will function in ways they never functioned here on earth. Here on earth, every part of our being is affected by sin and its fall. There, we'll, our senses will be alive. We'll be, have our senses heightened. It'll be unbelievable. And we'll be aware of what's happening. And finally, there is a divide between those who have received Jesus in their life and those who haven't. This passage describes this, this rich man. I want you to notice something. Notice that, so he dies and he goes to this place we're going to talk about in a second, Hades, where there's torment. And in verse 24, he says, Father Abraham, he called out, have mercy on me. But think, look at what the mercy he's asking for. Have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in cool water and cool my tongue because I am in agony and in this flame. Notice he still hasn't repented. His one request for mercy is to put Lazarus in a servitude to have him come and meet my felt need. He still hasn't gotten it. His soul is still in a state where he doesn't need God. There's this divide between those. The passage says this man is in torment in Hades. Hades is not hell. The word Hades means a place of death. However, this place of death, Jesus says, is filled with torment for this man. Eternal torment. A torment that never stops. That is what is there for those hearts that are so self-sufficient that they refuse Christ and refuse anything other than themselves. They are separated from God for eternity. And there is no worse state for a soul of a human being than to be separated from God for eternity. It's a serious, awful place. And that's what this rich man is experiencing. Because a great chasm has been fixed between us and you. So that those who want to pass over from here to you cannot. Neither can those from there cross over to us. This is why we must think of heaven now. This is why we must think of what will wait for us. Where is the condition of our heart now? One thing that is absolutely true when we die, there will be no more evangelism in heaven. There will be no other opportunity. Where we find ourselves after death is where we will remain forever. So how did the rich man end up there? He had no relationship with Jesus Christ because he had no need. He was fully self-sufficient. And how he went about his earthly life showed that. Now is the time for us, Crossview Church family, to wrestle and think about such things. Have you died to your self-sufficiency? Have you received Jesus Christ into your heart knowing that he is the only way you will have life for eternity and a life that begins now? Have you 
transferred the ownership of your heart to Jesus Christ, your creator and ruler and savior. This is critically important because what determines whether you spend eternity ruling with Christ in the new heavens and new earth or not is what you do with him now in the here and now. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The New Testament clearly tells us what has to happen for us to inhabit that new heavens and new earth with Jesus, and that is to repent, to turn from our selfish self-sufficiency, to turn from that stiff arm from God and receive him and turn to him and say, be a lover of his mercy and say, I need you in my life. And to believe, and it's not just an intellectual belief, it's a belief with your whole being that says you are God and I want to follow you all my days. We're going to be discussing heaven a lot in the coming couple weeks and even this year, but here's what I want you to grab today. Number one, heaven is real. It's a real place. Number two, the present heaven is temporary because we are going to go permanently to a new heavens and new earth. But above all things, what I want you to know right now in these moments that it's critically, critically important that you contemplate heaven in this life. That you be one who thinks about heaven. For the Christian, death has no power. For the Christian, death is not the end because our God even conquers the power of death. Death is not the end for the Christian. It's the glorious beginning of paradise. Life with Jesus changes everything, including our forever. But we must think about these things. There was a pastor who lived in the early 1900s to mid-1900s. His name was Donald Barnhouse. He was a well-known minister and preacher at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia from 1927 to 1960. His wife, Ruth, died of cancer in 1944, and they had four children. His daughter, who was the youngest, was extremely young at the time her mom died. And so not only was this Pastor Donald Barnhouse trying to mourn the loss of his wife, but he was also trying to comfort his four children who lost their mother in the same time in the proce- during the process. One day he was with his youngest daughter, Dorothy, and they were driving through town and they were at a stoplight. And as they were at a stoplight, this big truck kind of went by and the way the sun was positioned, the shadow of the truck kind of covered them as it went by. And in that moment, something struck Pastor Barnhouse and he said this to his youngest daughter, Dorothy, when the truck went by, he said, would you rather be run over by the truck or run over by its shadow? And she said, what? He said, would you rather be run over by the truck or run over by its shadow? And she said, by the shadow, of course. The shadow can't hurt us. And Barnhouse replied, you are absolutely right. If the truck doesn't hit you, but only its shadow, then you are fine. Well, it was only the shadow of death that went over your mother. She is actually alive. 
She's more alive than we ever are in this moment. And that's because 2,000 years ago, the real truck of death hit Jesus Christ. And because death crushed Jesus and we believe in him, now the only thing that can come over us is the shadow of death. And the shadow of death is nothing but an entrance into glorious paradise, into eternal pleasures for the Christian. For the believer, the shadow of death is the beginning of new eternal life in everlasting paradise. And as God's people, let us pray that we think about such a place. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection that moves us from death to life. God, I pray that we consecrate this year 2022 as the Crossview Church family as a year where we set our hearts and our affections on the things not in this world, but of the world to come. That our minds and our hearts and our affections would be set on the new heaven and the new earth and your forever rule and reign. Your kingdom that you established here that will be fulfilled in your next coming. Let our hearts be set on such a place. And God, I ask that you'd forgive us from the sin full attachments we have to the things of this world where we've taken things that have been blessings from your hand and made them gods where we've made them the be all end all in such a way that we are so captivated by them we forgot about our life to come forever with you Lord I ask that you help us to reorder and put those blessings in their proper place but may they never take their chief place of, in our hearts of us longing to be with you forever and ever. Do this work by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.